Welcome to the Vermontawana podcast. I am your host, Eli Harrington, and Vermontawana is a podcast where we elevate the state. We're talking about cannabis, news, politics, business, advocacy, activism, and everything in between. Follow us at Vermontawana, become a subscriber at vermontawana.com, and enjoy today's episode. Welcome again to Vermontawana. I am your host, Eli Harrington. So I want to give a little bit of context before we start this because this is sort of a, a rebirth of sorts. I've been doing this podcast off and on for four years, and I'll tell you who the hell I am in a minute or two. But start off, vermontawana.com. You can see there's media, there's events, there's advocacy. The podcast is going to come out once every two weeks. It's free. All right. You can subscribe on iTunes, follow it on SoundCloud, follow on social media. You'll always get that. Starting in January, I'm going to put the newsletter and the media behind a paywall. $2 a month, it's going to cost $24 for a one-year subscription. So one of the things I've learned with my journalism degree and four years of cannabis media experience, um, you got to pay for the good stuff, and I love producing original content. So you care about what's happening in Vermont, the rest of New England, $2 a month, you're going to get the newsletter and access to all the original articles, videos. So this podcast will come out once every two weeks. Um, I'm going to talk about cannabis. Go figure, right? Uh, but we're going to talk hemp and CBD. We're going to talk industrial. We'll talk politics. We'll talk news. We'll have a lot of Vermont-centric stuff here, but we're also going to talk about what's happening more in New England and the Northeast. Because guess what? There's not really any East Coast cannabis media. And frankly, part of the reason that I wanted to start a blog back in 2015 was that there was no voice in the East Coast. You know, it was like high times and then you've got the big West Coast. Leafly, you know, weed maps have started developing publishing. Cannabis was the best option. You know, they were the best option online at that time. And I thought that Vermont media was going to get on board and realize the value of covering cannabis, maybe having a podcast and eventually holler at your boy to come work with him. That didn't happen. And I said, fuck it, let's start our own thing. So um, met my business partner in October 2015. And we started Heady Vermont, which launched uh, in 2016 in February, March. It's still going. I left six months ago as an employee uh, and kind of took that time to do some consulting work, step back, refresh a little bit, and then kind of think about how I wanted to do media events and advocacy in Vermont if I had another shot to do it. And here we are. So Vermont Awana, like I said, media, events, advocacy, check out the website. Please consider becoming a subscriber. Now, who am I, the person talking at you? Uh, my name is Eli Harrington. I am your host. And I guess I'm a social entrepreneur is how I describe myself. I worked for nonprofits and did actually international visitor exchange programs uh, for the eight years before I got into cannabis full-time professionally. So nonprofits, cause-based marketing, uh, cultural exchange, interested in all that, but the entire time was also using cannabis uh, and exploring it. it. For me, it really started in 2004 when I was like 12, 13. Family member named Mark Tucci was dying of lung, or sorry, was uh, diagnosed with MS while my uncle was dying of lung cancer. And these guys were using medical marijuana basically to just not suffer so much. And, you know, my mom was, grew up in Southern Vermont, um, you know, so I think like weed was kind of already culturally accepted, but these guys were using it medically. 
And then I learned about this guy, David Zuckerman, who was a politician standing up and actually advocating for this, to change these ridiculous laws. That representative, David Zuckerman, is now our lieutenant governor here in Vermont 15 years later, guy who's always been on the right side of history on this topic. So, you know, for me, it was really the politics that got me interested. And about four years ago, I saw the Burlington Chittenden County business magnates starting to organize into this Vermont Cannabis Collective. And I said, all right, things are finally starting to happen. I want to be part of this and not only be part of it, but there's a huge void in news information connection. So that's what we're going to bring with Vermont Awana. Hope that you guys enjoy. We'll get into our first segment, which will be a regular part of this show, news update. This news update is brought to you by the 2020 Vermontawana Cannabis Calendar. Forgot to get a gift for the cannabis enthusiast in your life? Looking to share a slice of Vermont's cannabis culture with your friends this holiday season? Want to support the cause? $20, we have these on sale online. You can see a spec version. Printed ones will be available soon, including at Vermont Hempicurian. Shout out to Scott. Check out the Vermontawana Cannabis Calendar. Pre-order your gift for the holidays now. Vermontawana.com. All right, this is the news update for the end of November 2019. Big three stories that we are following right now. Massachusetts just celebrated its one-year anniversary of legal sales. As a reminder, the voters passed it in 2016. They finally opened for business in November 2018. Since then, Massachusetts has sold $400 million worth of legal adult-use cannabis. There are still only 32 locations open available for purchase, but the state is now selling over $1 million worth of cannabis per day. That is $1 million plus per cannabis per day sold legally in Massachusetts more than we are selling here in Vermont. All right, story number two. The FDA has issued new warnings about CBD and continues to use scarier and scarier language. The FDA is warning about making claims in food and reaffirming that they have not yet approved any products for human consumption or animal consumption for that matter. So this is all portending. Um, this is all portraying and, uh, and previewing, forecasting possible FDA crackdown on food and beverages. Look for Big Beverage to be the first ones to get involved. We'll talk about how alcohol companies are getting more involved in later episodes, but if I was going to bet the FDA approving a beverage would be the first thing to happen, and after that, it's going to get a whole lot harder for small businesses to participate. So for the holiday season, support your small business that's making CBD foods and beverages, and if you really like them, stockpile them because the FDA is continuing to use scarier language and getting closer and closer to fully regulating and then cracking down on everybody. The final story we will highlight here in Vermont, the Vermont League of Cities and Towns longtime cannabis opponents. This is basically a trade association for local governments. In Vermont, they are very powerful. They lobby and they have lobbied against cannabis reforms. Right now, they're talking to various select boards about uh, how to zone cannabis businesses and encouraging them to increase their demands for local tax revenues. Whether this is political trolling or whether this is constructive advice is up to you, but check out vermontawana.com to see a write-up and actually watch a video and this resolution. So cannabis regulation, it's coming to you locally and cannabis politics are already and always happening. Check out the advocacy tab on vermontawana.com to see what I'm up to and support the cause. 
This upcoming interview with Attorney General Donovan is phenomenal, and you have a chance to participate in the discussion and learn more about this topic yourself on Thursday, December 5th at Contois Auditorium. That's Burlington City Hall, 5.30 p.m. on Thursday, December 5th, Cannabis Conversations. We've got a panel, speakers from other states put on by the Attorney General's office. I will see you there. I am extremely honored and grateful to present my first featured guest in this new revamped version of the podcast. It is Attorney General T.J. Donovan. That's right. We have got the Attorney General for the state of Vermont, T.J. Donovan, as our guest. Now, the impetus for this conversation is that the Attorney General's office is hosting in Burlington, Vermont, on Thursday, December 5th, from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m., a discussion panel called Lessons Learned from Other States. Now, it's going to feature some lobbyists and some entrepreneurs from Massachusetts, um, as well as Vermont. I'm not one of them. I will not be on the panel. Um, And it's also going to feature a regulator from the state of Maine. So, you know, I thought it was an interesting move that his office was setting this up independently, that they had taken the lead on this, because we are at a delicate time politically in Vermont, where we are going to, in January, start again the discussion of tax and regulate with our present bill, S-54. So the attorney general's office being proactive, uh, you know, and frankly, very progressive in bringing this presentation to the public sends a strong political message. Um, You know, I think about him and his office, Attorney General T.J. Donovan. This is somebody who's been rumored to run for higher office for a long time. People are speculating in 2020 that might happen. So um, this has implications in that way. But, you know, T.J. has long time been a supporter of, of, I think, common sense cannabis policy. He's still a cop (laughs) and a former cop um, and top law enforcement. So, you know, he's not going to embrace the idea completely, but he's somebody who has consumed in the past. He's inhaled. You know, he mentions this when he was younger. He's a huge supporter of medical marijuana, a total believer, you know, and as an attorney general, possibly also a candidate for higher office in Vermont in the future, right? Um, He is coming out and I think really clarifying his position on supporting tax and regulate and getting things moving. So during our conversation, we had a chance to sit down, talk about all these topics, how he thinks things have gone one year in, what his vision is for a future tax and regulate market in Vermont, what his concerns are, Um, I think he really outlined some interesting and gave some really interesting insight into what he and probably a lot of other folks want to see from a regulated market. And we also talked about this panel discussion coming up on Thursday, December 5th. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, the Attorney General of the great state of Vermont, Mr. T.J. Donovan. Attorney General Donovan, um, I'm here in part because next week, uh, there is, or I should say the week after we're recording this, uh, you guys, your office is hosting an event uh, on the 5th of December, Contoys Auditorium, 5.30 p.m., Lessons Learned from Other States. Um, I appreciate your office taking the initiative and want to ask kind of what inspired you guys to set this up? Who's going to be there and what do you think we're going to learn? Well, Eli, thanks for taking the time to talk to me about cannabis. And um, I I think it is time for a fully regulated, tax and regulated, uh, legalized system uh, for cannabis in Vermont. And... Why we're doing the panel next week, as you said, uh, Thursday, December 5th, 5.30 to 7.30 at Contois Auditorium in Burlington, is basically to say this, that we are way past go on this issue, that you can't unring the bell, not only in Vermont or nationally when it comes to cannabis legalization. Here's where we are in Vermont. The governor has legalized possession. 
but has stayed absolutely silent on the issue of how do Vermonters obtain it. That has created confusion. That has created, in my opinion, more of a black market uh, because people are going to obtain it. We know that. At the same time, U.S. states like Maine and Massachusetts are neighbors who have a fully regulated market. And I know, as you know, that the Vermont legislature will take that bill up again this year. I hope they pass it. I hope the governor signs it. So we should simply say, what are the lessons learned from Massachusetts and Maine? What have the challenges been? What have the barriers been? What are some of the things that they didn't expect actually occurred? Uh, some of the issues that I'm really focused on <clears throat> are on the issue of taxation. Hmm. How do you how, how do you hit that price point? Because when, let, let me back up and say this, you know, when you talk about legalization, for me, I look at it in my from my purchase attorney general as a consumer protection issue. If things are going to be sold, we got to make sure they're safe, and from a public safety standpoint. But when you get in and and the public safety standpoint gets into the issue, of course, the black market, the illicit market, I should say. And this issue of price point, if you're going to tax from a statewide perspective, that's fine. How are you going to do it from a municipal perspective? And is that going to create a price point too high, which is going to allow the the black market to grow? I think you and I both read this article out of Massachusetts that seemed to indicate that. And because the whole goal about legalization is to get rid of the illicit market. And so how do you price it? How do you zone it? in terms of the lo- localities of, of local municipalities. How do you do it in a way I think uh, California has run into a really unique problem, but a, another lesson where they now have oversupply because they allowed their cities and towns to essentially veto uh, uh, legalization and say, no, you can't have uh, retail recreational shops in our towns, which is allowed, which is created an oversupply, which is the argument is that that is gone into the illicit market too. So this is really confusing. It's really complex. And then from a governance standpoint, Eli, where does this regulatory body exist in state government? What does it look like? Who's in charge? What's the cost? Right. Let's talk to people who've done it so we know what we're getting into because I just don't think we can go back on this. Right. And it seems, and you know, I want to say I was in preparation for this looking at a panel discussion you'd participate in a Nectar's four years ago, yeah. over four yep. years ago. And then it was a question of it's not if, it's how. Yeah. Right? And all these brilliant thinkers talking about the quote unquote Vermont way. Um, you know, and so here we are four years later. Yep. And we know the wills there. We see in Massachusetts, they're doing a million dollars in sales per day, literally. They've sold $377 million worth of legal cannabis. Um, in the one calendar year since they've since they've yep. opened, so um, I think that we we see this happening, and it does seem like it's semi inevitable. But there are a lot of political challenges. Yep. Like you said, the the how. Um, I want to reference and bring up kind of uh, what are some lessons that maybe we can learn from other successful industries in in Vermont. We've been talking about beer. You yep. know, we talked about, and you talked about that four years ago. Yep. Um, Consumer protection and the idea of of labeling, yes, you know, and safety. Um, what I wonder is, again, do you think this has to live in an existing, you know, is this going to be a Department of Liquor Control? Is this the Department of Revenue? Is this, uh, 
you know, or is all of that null until maybe there's another administration? And I don't want to get too far into the politics yeah, of, you yeah. know, of partisanship, but, um, you know, where do you think is most appropriate for, let's say, the yeah. licensing or the enforcement? So what was really interesting, um, in 2013, I went out with a, a delegation of Vermonters to Colorado to look at their legalized um, system. And I think we were all shocked because there was a lot of law enforcement on that on that trip um, that their regulatory framework um, was housed in not in public safety, but in the Department of Revenue, right? In taxation, and I thought that was a really interesting thing because it framed the issue that much like alcohol, that this is a product is going to be a consumer product where you have to build in consumer protections, whether it's age, whether it's potency. Uh, whether it's the labeling, uh, all these issues. And there was a massive buildup in state government to create the infrastructure to regulate this industry. I don't think we're even close in Vermont to that discussion. And so we got to say, and one of the panelists who's coming next Thursday that I'm incredibly excited about, um, I, I think is the chair of the Maine Cannabis Commission. Yeah. So those questions, because it's not, hey, should this be legal or, or not? It's how. Who's in charge? Who are the compliance officers? Who are the regulatory? Who, who are the regulators? What are the penalties? Right. What, what are the fees to get in? How, how do you enter the marketplace? And it seems like it's really not a political question of we need a bureaucracy first. Yeah. Like you said, who's yeah. going to write the licenses? Yes. Where's that office? Yes. What's on the application? Um, we've seen, you know, the question of testing. Massachusetts didn't have enough testing capacity, you know, and then the question of supply, you know, lessons from other states and getting those, getting those three things where, yeah. you know, if you don't have licenses, you don't have testing and you don't have, you know, legal supply, um, then there's no revenue to be collected. And you make a great point because I was in a meeting earlier today and it was about the need or the demand for technology to address a 21st century economy. Cannabis is a 21st century economy. We have to acknowledge that. And the issue of testing when it comes to consumer protection is critical in whether or not we are utilizing blockchain technology mm -hmm. to track from seed to sale to make sure that this product is safe, has been tampered with, is exactly what it was in terms of whether or not we get into this Vermont branding, whether it is you know organic or whatever you want to call it. That's those are consumer protection issues. Right. I think we also have to talk about the hemp industry too when we when we talk about uh, tracking and seed to sale and the regulations there and making sure that we have an economy and a, and a regulatory system that works for everybody that's transparent that's easy to understand, uh, that is fair and balanced, um, and protects consumers. I mean, that's when you have right. regulation. That's the point, that's right? The is point. this gonna make me sick, is this it, accurate? Exactly. And maybe two lessons, a good one and a bad one from, from hemp. You know, Agency of Agriculture registered, went from 97 to 500 to 1,000. They were able to scale up and, you know, pretty, pretty agile. Um, getting people signed up and, and having that process. On the flip side, the testing paradigm, you know, where in hemp we're required to make sure it's marijuana and not, you know, not hemp. Um, but we don't do anything about consumer products, right? So 
maybe we're testing that original product, but we don't know what's actually being produced and what's actually on that shelf. So seems like there's a clear lesson there. And if you're a grower, you know, if you have to pay the person who's extracting it, making that value-add product, they're going to test it. You know, if that grower's got to yeah. pay $500 a test, yep. it's going to be uh, too expensive for them to participate. We're going to be like California, right? Yep. Too many barriers to entry. So finding that sweet spot, extremely, extremely difficult. But, but I think in one of the things about testing, and you know, I don't know enough about this, but I think for Massachusetts, that there's not enough capacity to test, so it's created a backlog. And you know, in terms of the product, getting getting to market. And so all this stuff about supply chain, um, about uh, <clears throat> supply and demand, I don't think anybody has thought through this stuff because at the end of the day, th this is an economy and we have to engage in a conversation and a deep dive about a regulated marketplace from the infrastructure on the governmental end to what's needed from the uh, the, the producers in terms of testing the product, how it gets to the marketplace, to the consumer. So when they walk into the store or walk into the restaurant, they're making informed decisions. I'll tell you one thing, uh, Eli, that I've noticed in Vermont the last couple of years with the rise of craft beer. Ten years ago, you'd order a beer. You got a beer. Now, when you go to places, not only do they have the price listed, they have the alcohol content listed. Why? Because consumers, number one, want to know, and there is a duty to inform that, hey, this is not your typical 4% or 5% beer. This thing's 9%. Right. And, and you better, and if you think that the conventional wisdom is that you can have one beer and still be under the legal limit, and i.e. public safety, and go out and drive, there is a duty to inform. I think with, with cannabis, that logic applies. Sure. That and we don't need to reinvent the wheel, we too, don't right? No. You know, I mean, with spirits, there's yeah, a serving size. Right. Um, you know, and again, even the idea of distribution. You know, I mean, retail, we've seen in alcohol the idea of doing, you know, farm to farm yep. to table or, you know, farm to uh, farm to bottle yep. is now the is yep. now the popular one I see on Route 2 out there. Um, so the question, you know, like you said, how can we get there so we have consumer protection, but we also have a vibrant economy because yep. I think that a lot of these states we've seen issues with um, lack of lack of supply, difficulty of registration, and you know I would say that in places like Oregon, oversupply. I think that is a success because every single ounce of that bud that's in a warehouse somewhere is not on the illicit market. Right. We know that it's right. there because it's been tracked. So. They have clearly made the decision to... So Oregon has created a state-run you know, regulatory similar yeah. to, to our liquor. And Oregon's making... Uh, they've passed a law, I think it's 582, that will allow them to export cannabis to other states. So they as a state want to be prepared. And us right next to New York, I think eventually the federal foot's going to drop. So and then I. is it going to be... New York businesses have got to grow their own and make all the money, or are they going to take the shortcut and import it? But I think I think you just hit the nail on the head about, I think what we're trying to do is to simply be prepared. Right. Let's be prepared as a state. We, we can't kick the can down the road anymore. And um, we've had this debate for, what, five years now? Um, we've legalized possession. You, you, you now need a fully regulated system. I, I just don't see how you can continue confusing Vermonters with a message that you can legally possess marijuana, 
but we're not going to tell you how you can get it in a safe, reliable way. Right. And, and our states, they, and our, it's irresponsible. Well, in the states, and the states losing so much. You know, I see people coming up from ski season, and they're on Reddit and Facebook, yep. and they're stopping in Williamstown, Mass, in Northampton, the gateway to Brattleboro and Bennington. Hmm. So, you know, Southern Vermont's got the most to gain from all yep. this. Yep. Um, and we know that it's just a question of of how and a little concerted political will. Um, I think that one thing that's been great through legalization is seeing some restorative justice. Yep. Expungement has really been widespread throughout the state. Give a lot of credit to you know activists, um, Dave Silverman, and you know folks in your office. You know um, Sarah George, you yep. know Mary O'Reilly, Dennis yep. Wagman, a lot of folks around the state, trying to get us to at least an equal playing field on the state level. Yeah. Um, so I think that's been positive. And the question again, lessons from other states, social equity. You know when we're thinking about restorative justice and we're thinking about. This is an opportunity not only to right wrongs, yep. but hey, all these people who are criminals know how to grow really good weed. Um, how can we, what does social equity mean in Vermont? You know, and what are some strategies for ensuring sure. that this isn't just the, the rich old white guys getting richer? Yeah, no, no, I think, look, you want a level playing field. I think you want a low barrier to access to, to enter the marketplace here. I think those are critically important, and it should be a marketplace, right? Um, you know, in terms of the strategies, I think we need to look to other states because I don't have the answer right now. I certainly believe in it, and I don't think anybody should be um, not allowed into the market because of an old conviction. I mean, I've been probably the biggest proponent in this state of reforming our criminal justice system and then the effort to expunge uh, crimes, not just marijuana crimes, but all crimes, <clears throat> um, and have fought to... Uh, expand that universe of crimes eligible for expungement. And so we use the term the Vermont way, I think, probably a little too much. Yeah. Who's Vermont, right? Well, that's exactly right. And I think, so you want equity, you want inclusion, you want diversity. uh, And what that means for me is the lowest barrier to entry into the marketplace, right? Mm -hmm. Because this is going to cost some money. Yeah, yeah. This is going to cost some money to get in. What is that? How much is it? Right. Is it, it, do we have a tiered approach? I don't know. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is that it's not that the state charges you as a big license. It's that you got to get a lawyer, you got to figure out real estate, you got to hire a consultant, you know, maybe a lot of insurance, you know, right, exactly. Um, this is a business. Exa- yes. But, you know, I mean, like you said, with we've seen success with our alcohol industry yes. where, you know, there's a clear path. So I think maybe it's more about clarity. Um, and, you know, maybe social equity in Vermont also means thinking about geographic diversity. Yeah. You know, we've seen with hemp how many, you know, maybe it's more hope than um, manifest at a lot of places, but places like the Northeast Kingdom. You know, I go to Parker Pie and I've got so many hemp farmer friends around there. Um, first time they've ever seen cannabis, I'm sure. You know, uh, who would all love to be involved? So, you know, how do we spread spread the wealth around yeah. and decentralize it? And like you said, make sure that it's accessible and, and I think clear for yeah, people how and, to get and, in. And I mean, if, if, if there is a definition that I think we can all agree on when we talk about the Vermont way, you know, I hope it's not some big out-of-state corporate entity that comes in and buys up the market. And I think that's a legitimate concern of mine, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah. Um, because I wouldn't be surprised if there are those entities that are looking at this <clears throat> market, whether it's tobacco or, or others. Right. 
And so I think we have to be cognizant of that. I think we want to give everybody a shot who wants to enter enter this market to be willing to get into it, to provide um, some useful tools about running a small business because at the end of the day, this is a small business. And what does that mean from a, regu- a regulator standpoint? Well, that means workers' comp. That means unemployment insurance. That right. that makes that means that's make sure that you're 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 compliant with. Uh, all the forms uh, that the tax department stands out, um, you know, in terms of uh, your reporting. And, you know, we have a small business advocate in, in our office, and one of the main things that we've done is to acknowledge that Vermont is a state of small businesses, which means this. It's not, these aren't businesses that have lawyers. These aren't businesses that have compliance officers, that have general counsels. It's mom and pop operations with folks wearing multiple hats, trying to do the best they can. So what we're committed to in the Attorney General's office is is providing those resources and tools to say, this is how you comply with the law. Right. And when I talk about low barrier entry, that's exactly what I think we need to do. Right. And that's a great great point because like you said, what jumpstart that economy is not only here's the paperwork, but here's the clinic on how to fill out the paperwork. And here are the top mistakes you're gonna make. And And that paperwork is confusing. Right. That paperwork is confusing, let's be honest about it. Exactly. I want to get a few, you know, looking back a little bit, one year, you know, a year and a half after legalization in in Vermont, you know, sort of think about how things have have gone. Um, you know, one thing we learned from other states was clearly you figured out closing the loop, the gifting loophole, <laughs> which I think disappointed a lot of folks out there selling T-shirts and cookies. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, and I know some of them are still out there doing it, yep. but um, you know, a year in. And maybe a chance to you know clarify the de facto gift uh, de facto sale versus, yeah. versus gifting because I think it's been pretty clear yeah. and people have respected it. But um, you know a year in expectation wise, better, worse, similar. You know you were prepared for this four years ago, right? Yeah, I, I mean a year in, I would say that um, people are still confused, and I think people are um, tired of the conversation. They want action. They want clarity. Right. Um, they want consumer protection. They want public safety. And if they choose to um, produ- uh, purchase this product, they want choice. That, that's a marketplace, right? And what we have now is you can possess it. What, what does that mean to people? Right. I, I, I don't know what that means. It, it, so I think we're still in this state of limbo limbo and confusion and when we talk about the gifting ban look i mean the biggest thing and we talked about this you know and i'm probably going to get my history wrong on this but it's the invisible hand of the market right um the market's not going away right it it is only going to expand especially when you can say you can legally possess it so you had some folks who were entrepreneurial to say hey well there's a there's a loophole in this in this law and if you buy uh, in a uh, you know arm's length transaction this T-shirt, uh, I'll as a gift uh, throw in uh, some marijuana, and you know it was too cute by half. Clearly, was a sale. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know we said it's got to stop. And and it, I'll tell you what it was driven by. We were getting notice of these gifting operations, my words, probably not the best phrase, who are on Facebook. 
Right. And now go back to consumer protection. Right. Where are young kids gonna gonna go and get this? Right. The easier it is to obtain, the more education right. that should be right. it should be kind of built into it. And, you know. And, and so when you had that illicit market of that you could go on Facebook and go buy cannabis with no idea about the quality of the product, of where it came from, mm-hmm. of what was in it, and there was no limitation whatsoever on the consumer about who could possess it. And there was no verification process, i.e. show me your ID that you're 21, to right. get it. That's not good for public safety. Right. That's not good for consumers. That's not good for anybody. When you think about Uber, you think about Airbnb, yeah, you know, yeah. there's at least a rating system yep. so you know That's that right. that person's been vetted before point. you let them into it's your house point. or it's a good point. serve them something you're going to ingest. It's yeah. a good point. Um, you know, so I, I, I know that's been, it, but overall, you know, I don't think that we've seen a huge attention. And, you know, you said it four years ago that cannabis had been de facto legalized and not the case for everybody in Vermont for sure. And I know that we have seen since legalization, a lot of those numbers sort of level out and that there is less prosecution, less enforcement, um, you know, and less disparity in in, in racial statistics about kind of cannabis having been used in the past maybe as a a leverage point. But the other big public safety, you know, question that has and will always come up will be will be road safety. Um, Big issue. Public safety and, you know, and saliva testing. And, you know, for me, I think the idea is, you know, in the year 20, in the year 2020 is getting in a car, driving someplace, going to a retail store, how you buy anything. Um, You know, not not really. And maybe is delivery a better option? Instead of lounges, are we going to let people have lodging, you know, so you can have a bed and breakfast? And, hey, you're going to get baked. Stay here tonight. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I want to address that public safety because, you know, I won't say the sky hasn't fallen yeah. um, because there are tragic incidences. But, you know, saliva testing seems to be a, a sticking point, And I don't know if this is what is necessary to get it past either this governor or, or in general. Um, I like to think maybe, you know, probably not. I know A-Ride and DRE are, are other options. But... From the enforcement standpoint, um, you know, what do you think? Yeah, uh, you raise a great point about how people um, now engage in the marketplace as part of the digital economy, where you can have groceries delivered to your home, um, you can have any product d- delivered to your home. I-, I don't see cannabis being different than that. Let's let's be honest about that. Yeah, and that the idea of a of a brick and mortar store as a place to buy a product. I'm not sure is what is the most economically viable business model anymore. Or the fastest, right? Right. You just, know, I mean, just, if we got to get this stuff, a tested product in people's hands legally. So I, I think you raise a great point about how consumers um, engage in the marketplace. I'm just thinking, frankly, about my, uh, my spouse. Um, there's a lot of online transactions, as, as I'm sure there is with anybody. And when you get to driving, yes, it's a huge issue. Road, roadside, uh, roadway safety is a major concern. But I would challenge people when we talk about that to say, show me the data that in the last 15 months, 24 months, that we've had an increase in fatalities as a result of cannabis. Let's, let's, let's go with the facts and let's go with the data. That's number one. And we all know, I mean, I think the other point, too, with the road statistics that get overlooked is that 
people were using cannabis before it was legal yeah, in Vermont. Of course. And that we course. were, you know, you mentioned our youth rate was higher yeah. before it was legal. Yeah. Our adult rate was higher before it was legal. Yeah. So Look, it's, the, the poly substance intoxication uh, is not a new phenomenon. It, it's right. existed uh, right. for a long time. So that's number one. Let's look, let's look at the data. Um, and number two, uh, when it comes to, yes, we want to test. I'm not sold on the saliva test. Here's why. I think the potential for abuse is there because on one hand, we've said it about why we decriminalized and legalized marijuana were part of the uh, injustices of the, that happened to the criminal justice system. Right. Well, if we're going to use a test that just tests presence and not impairment, I'm not sure that is the answer we're looking for. Because you know better than I how long uh, cannabis is going to stay in your system, the presence of it. It doesn't necessarily mean that you are impaired, which is the legal requirement under the law to, right. to prove that somebody has been impaired to the slightest degree. And so why would we invest in a test that doesn't answer the question that we need legally to prove that a crime has occurred? And that's why I'm concerned about the saliva test. Do I, would I like a test? Absolutely. Do I think there are really smart people out there that can develop a test? Yes. Again, when we talk about the marketplace and technology, let's let people innovate. Right. Let's right. figure it out. Let's rely on the marketplace and innovators and entrepreneurs as opposed to government. Right. Government can use it, but let's get the test that works. And let's maybe, maybe it's a Vermont company that develops this Absolutely. test because you know our law enforcement are working with industry, and we want to absolutely we want to figure this. But I know you know a ride and DRE training have been well. I want to say look, and I I, I, I I respect the work that the DREs do, which of course are the drug recognition experts. But I, I do think in a perfect world, and I don't think we're there yet. Okay, mm -hmm. that we have a test that works. That does test like impairment because look, you know, everybody knows, as I said earlier, what 0 0.08 means sure. when, when it comes to alcohol. So that's why I do like um, a per se standard because people can comport their behavior to that. Right. I can have, quote, the one beer or one glass of wine. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why you're seeing the alcohol content listed uh, on the menus at restaurants exactly. about, about beer. So if we can get to the point that's scientifically reliable in terms of the test and then scientifically reliable about what the per se standard is, you need somebody a lot smarter than me to figure that out. But I'd like that. Here's why. I think it provides clarity to consumers. Right. And anytime you have clarity that people understand what the rules are, you're going to have greater compliance right. with those rules, which enhances our public safety. How many of these can I consume before I can drive? Right. You know, basic. And we'll get and a lot of it I think is on the industry too and educating. And we've seen consumer preference for edibles. People yep. want five milligram now. They don't want yep. fifty because they don't want to get yep. that banged up. So well and what I'd say too, you know, about consumers in the marketplace, I, I said to you earlier, um, this stuff's not going away. You know, when I was in a gas station and I saw C B D products on the counter, um, you wouldn't see that a year ago. But what, you, what we now have is that people are engaged in a marketplace of the supply chain, of distribution, of getting their product to market, where their product is prominently displayed, where consumers are going to see it. That's like any other product. And so you, ha you have the normalization of this. Um, I still think, and I may be wrong on this, that for a vast majority of Vermonters, and maybe nationally, 
people still confuse CBD with THC. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, sure. <laughs> and, and so, you know, again, getting back to the testing, getting back to the labeling, getting back to, the, to, to informing consumers. Because my view is this. People are smart if you give them the information. They're going to make informed choices. Let's protect kids. Let's protect people on our roadways. And let's let consenting adults make their own decision about how they want to engage with this product. Here, here. Much, much, much appreciated. Well, uh, Attorney General T.J. Donovan, um, we'll leave it at that title for now. Um, I want to thank you again and remind people, December 5th, the Attorney General's office is hosting at Contois Auditorium in Burlington, 530. Lessons learned from other states. We'll be streaming, covering all that. Thank you very much, uh, Attorney General Donovan. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. All right. So my thanks again to Attorney General T.J. Donovan. Uh, I did not ask him if he's going to run for higher office because I wanted to be able to speculate and I wanted to uh, let the Big J journalists who cover politics in Vermont full time uh, digest a little bit of what was said as it relates to cannabis and maybe beyond. But uh, I thought it was a really great discussion. I really appreciate the attorney general's candor and availability, you know, and frankly, some leadership on this issue where uh, the lieutenant governor has been out miles in front of everybody for years and years and people so much so people almost take it for granted. Um, but otherwise, you know, looking at the statewide democratic scene in Vermont, uh, really looking for some of those big, big leaders to step up and the attorney general making it very clear he does support regulation, you know, and very clear that he sees this coming and thinks it's time to, uh, to get to work. Uh, I thought that the saliva take I'll say I was a little surprised and frankly very impressed by the saliva testing because I've kind of thought that this saliva test, which we know is scientifically not up to par and which we know will cost the state millions of dollars in lawsuits and time wasted, uh, is not reliable. But the assumption, I think, by a lot of people and maybe even myself has been that that's what the law enforcement, the cops, the people who oppose this uh, are going to demand as part of a public safety uh, sort of function that that's going to be the cost of tax and regulate that we'll get tax and regulate but we're going to have to have saliva tests and all the terrible things that come along with that and it sounds like the attorney general is shedding some perspective on this and saying maybe not you know i mean his direct quote of you know show me the statistics are right in line because i've studied the statistics for years and guess what before legalization vermont was the second highest consumer of cannabis in the country by percentage of adults who use it in the course of a year third highest in the country by the percentage of adults who used it in the last 30 days. So legalization really couldn't have gotten us much higher, literally. Uh, the roads here are not great, but you know our state does a great job and emergency services do a great job, including the state police um, and neighbors look out for each other. So you know the sky has not fallen since legalization as far as roadway safety. I appreciated the acknowledgement of that, a pushback on saliva testing, and in general, some leadership and some push to really get this figured out. So my sincere thanks again to Attorney, uh, sorry, Attorney General T.J. Donovan, and my encouragement to all of you to check out, if you are in the Burlington, Vermont area on Thursday, December 5th at 5.30 p.m., Contois Auditorium is what's inside Burlington City Hall. All right, so Burlington City Hall, 5.30 p.m. on Thursday, December 5th. There's going to be a panel discussion, lessons learned from other states. I'll be there asking questions. I'll be there live streaming. Follow it all on Vermont Awana. My thanks again to Attorney General T.J. Donovan. That interview was presented by the 2020 Vermont Awana Cannabis Calendar. On sale now at vermontawana.com. Save $5 if you order before December 1st, vermontawana.com. Let me give you three great reasons to buy this calendar right now. Number one, 
This is a legal cannabis product. You can buy it and you can send it across state lines. It doesn't smell. You don't have to put it in a turkey bag. You don't have to ship it. You don't have to have a sketchy post office experience. Number two, the cannabis person you are buying this gift for is probably forgetful. So you buy this calendar, you write your birthday, you write your anniversary. They have a record of the dates and then they don't forget shit, okay? And then number three, you are gonna be supporting the cause Vermontawana, our advocacy efforts, our work to bring independent media to you. So check it out, Vermontawana Cannabis Calendar, vermontawana.com. All right, next up, enjoy this event preview and spotlight. This is Rosin Fest 3. This is a really super grassroots get together organized by Novice Farmer VT, aka Miles. Connected with him on Instagram, spoke on the phone. I'm going to be at this event. It's almost sold out. This is what Miles had to say about it. Uh, Rosin Fest uh, started a couple months back. Uh, it was just really just a bunch of growers getting together in the summertime, um, getting to know each other, and just pressing weed, pressing as much as we can, uh, as much as we can press during Rosin Fest. Um, turnout's always been, you know, pretty decent. We have um, always have a couple of growers out there, and just everyone always, it's just super pumped um, just to be out there and actually see someone that you saw on the internet in person and say, okay, this is a real person. And I guess start to try to build like a real community around um, like rosin and just solventless extraction. Well, exactly, man. And that's what's part of what's so interesting, you know, and so cool about this is like so much communication about cannabis happens online, right? And it's been forums in the old school and now really on Instagram. And when you bridge that divide and actually get people together in person, you're like, oh, snap, you're rosin farmer VT or like you're, you know, VMR caregiver or whatever. Um, and I think people are like generally pretty relieved to meet like-minded individuals. Um, so, like, what was your experience with those? Was uh, with those other ones? Was that kind of the deal? Was it a lot of younger growers coming out because you're talking on IG or? Uh, it was a, it was a mix of, of everything. Um, it was a mix of people who didn't even really know what rosin was, but um, you know, we had just been connected online, and um, you know, there's some young people out there that were. You know, maybe fresh out of college or right around college that were more there just to just to kind of be be in the experience um vermont positive was actually the the guy that came by and just um i thought it was it was cool that someone that didn't grow actually came to the first one because uh, i i want to make it not just for people who grow weed but also for people who uh who smoke it enjoy it well, I was going to say, that's what's cool about this evolution is that like you tapped into the grassroots community, got people together and you're like, oh, there are people who maybe like cannabis, but don't know anything about rosin or like people who don't know about cannabis, but might be interested in this. And so it seems like that's naturally kind of evolved and rosin fest free three, which is uh, that's happening on Saturday, December 7th, I believe at yeah. Green State Gardener. Um, it's going to be a little bit more, a little bit more education based too, right? So it's, uh, oh, yeah. people can bring their own, I think CBD and hemp, right? We're doing this in a, in a business. Um, yeah, bring, your, bring your own flower and yep. know, we'll take care of you. Awesome. So you bring your own flower doing this at Green State Gardener. What kind of education, what kind of questions were people asking before and did the other people learn at the previous ones and kind of what are we going to, uh, and I should disclaimer, I'm going to this thing too. Um, what are we going to learn at this about rosin? Yeah, so pretty much, uh, you know, why why it's so why it's getting so popular, why people are starting to prefer it over like other forms of extraction. Um, talk about the simple form of like how to smoke it, because that's something that a lot of people don't, you know, they don't really know what to do with it. Sometimes they're like, well, do I just put it on a bowl? Do I? And I'm like, well, you can do a lot with it. So, kind of 
as, as silly as it may sound, but just showing someone like this is a, this is a steps to take a dab. This is like what what you would use to smoke it this way. You know, this is what you would use to you know if you want to roll it on a joint or something. And then um, my fiance cooks with all the leftover rosin chips, so she's gonna do like a little you know quick one two three of like okay now that you've got your rosin you've got all these chips make some edibles you know this this is the other avenue of what you do with like the whole rosin stuff so it's not just like what you get when you first press it but um you know if you're pressing a lot you know you end up with quite a bit of material to to make edibles with yeah man i love it you eat the eat the whole buffalo right yeah yeah, Um, exactly well and part of i think why rosin's getting so popular is you know People like concentrates, whether they're, you know, new users or, or kind of connoisseurs, but um, people are afraid of solvents, you know, and I yeah. think with, with rosin, have you seen like a lot more interest since people have become, you know, aware? I'm not going to call it the vape crisis because that's bullshit, but yeah. since people are starting to pay attention to vaporizing and what's in their oils, you know, more popular? Yeah, yeah, definitely. People, more people are saying like, oh, you know, what's that, what's that rosin stuff? Like, can you put it in the pen? Is it, you know, is it easy? Um, people ask if you can put it into a cartridge and the answer, the, the short answer is yes. Like it's a very long answer to get it into a cartridge, but if people want like solventless cartridges, like they, they can have that with rosin. So there you go. That's a great, you know, that's a great hook for, uh, for folks to show up. Cause I hear a lot from people who are like, I won't do cartridges anymore cause I'm afraid. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, frankly, they're too nervous to, I think, smoke flour and <laughs> at least out in public in the middle yeah. of the day or whatever. So, um, I'm sure that'll be a big topic of, of interest. And, um, I like two miles. I noticed in the registration that you guys are, uh, have a charity component to this too. So, you know, you're showing yeah. up, it's community education, but there's also some cause behind it. Yeah. We're trying to uh, like, uh, basically 50% is going to go to the house, um, you know, fancy garden to put on the event and kind of you know, supply the people to help work it. And then uh, the other 50% is going to go to either, I think, like, Vermont Cancer Society, um, this Lyme disease organization, Kids Gardening, and then um, all Reed Rescue. So between those uh, those four, and then um, we'll be collecting, like, food for the food shelf. So anything that anyone could bring in to, you know, try to keep those people fed, bring on in, and, you know, after we'll tally up what we got and just kind of make a donation to all the different organizations. Hell yeah, man! I love it. Well, um, you know, I know that we've uh, you've got a, you've got a day job, and we got a lot more coming up. Um, people can find out information. There's information on your site, novicefarmervt.com. There's information yeah. on Instagram. Um, people who are listening to this, you're in Vermont. You know, stop by Green State Gardener and ask them. It's a great it's a great resource for education, and uh, staff there especially are super nice. Um, yeah, they're uh, they're all rosin fest uh, participants in one way or another. Hell yeah, man. And it's really cool that you got, you know, that you got this partnership and it's really kind of bringing a lot of the old school underground, you know, um, or even just people who are connoisseurs in the community, you know, out into the light more. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it's like, it's not, I want to make this clear. Like if you're like a Ross expert and you know everything about it, like this is an event for you too to share what you know. Exactly. And that and that's kind of, I think, what the spirit that people see and that I saw about it is that this is a fest, right? This isn't like come and hear us talk at you about rosin and we're the experts. It's, hey, we're going to get together, share what we know, let you share what you know. We're all going to press together and we're all going to learn together. Yep, that's it. That's, that's rosin fest in a nutshell. Hell yeah, man. Well, the uh, there are participant and spectator tickets, so... 
um, you know, if you're tight on cash or you don't have flour, you just want to check it out, dip your toes in. Um, there are two levels of tickets. They're both very affordable. Um, and Miles, I know you're busy, so I appreciate you taking a couple minutes to uh, to tell me about the event, hype it up, and I can't wait to go. Um, and I'm yeah. sure we'll have a great turnout. Yeah, I'm excited. I appreciate you having me on, man. Hell yeah. Well, Saturday, uh, Saturday the 7th, come hang with me and Miles in person uh, down at Green State Gardener. Information on IG and online. And uh, we'll see you all there. Much more in the future. Yeah, and if anyone has any questions in the meantime, just, just have them reach out to me and I'm, uh, I'm pretty available. Beautiful. Miles, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate right. the time. Take it easy, Eli. All right. Thank you again to Miles and thank you to Attorney General TJ Donovan. I'm going to conclude this first episode with an advocacy update. All right, so this is something that's really for the Vermont audience. Um, I'm going to be doing this as part of the podcast every two weeks, and it will be incorporated into the newsletter. So as a reminder, check out Vermont Awana, subscribe, $2 a month, $24 for the year. So advocacy update. All right, we already mentioned the Vermont League of Cities and Towns. I want to point your attention towards something a little more positive and proactive. That's the VermontAwana.com website where I have posted a cannabis event permit campaign. Okay, now this is a very simple concept. When you host an event, whether it's a wedding, whether it's a music festival, and you want to serve alcohol, you get a permit. It costs $35, and it says basically where you're going to consume it, who's going to be responsible for making sure that the people are 21 or the sale um, and or the sale, depending on what kind of event it is. And then you're going to get that form signed by the town clerk. And then you get to have alcohol served by a bartender, caterer or whatever in the designated area. The idea is to, as John Stewart says, do it on weed. All right. So why, if you're having an event in Vermont, shouldn't there be a place for you to have cannabis? It's legal for adults 21 plus to possess it and to consume it, but we have not said anything as a state as to where you can consume it, except in the privacy of your own home. Now this is dumb because every concert, every wedding, you know, every food event, shit, how much is this gonna be good for food events in Vermont? Um, people are using cannabis. They might be doing it in the parking lot, they might be doing it in the mosh pit, they might be doing it wherever, but there's no control over that. We don't know if they're 21, and even without legal sales, we can create something like a cannabis beer garden, right? So all we need, check an ID that says you're 21 and tell you where to stand. That means you could be down at the waterfront in Burlington, be in that back corner downwind, and then you can look at the concert, see it, be able to consume your legally cultivated, possessed cannabis, consume it as a 21-year-old plus, see the music and not be blowing it in everybody's face. So, again... This is a concept, and this is kind of where I'm at in the advocacy adventure right now, looking at this cannabis event permit. So I uh, encourage you to check that out at vermontawana.com. We will have more advocacy updates in every episode. Make sure you subscribe, check it out on iTunes, share it with a friend. Yeah! Thank